Hey everybody, and welcome back to BK's Bullets. Today we're going to be talking about the best comics that I read here in 2020. Hey everybody, welcome back to BK's Bullets. As always, I am your host, Brent Cosina, and today we're going to be talking about my list for the best of 2020. So, let's set some ground rules. I've never done this before. This is all off the cuff in terms of like best of lists. I haven't done those previous years, but I was trying to think of stuff to do for the channel. And I was like, oh yeah, I could talk about things I really liked, which is what I want to do on this channel, right? So, we're going to be doing a list of the best comics I read in 2020. So, I tried to keep these to things that are relevant to new comics in 2020, uh, things that came out, storylines that began or concluded. I typically tried to keep it to concluded in 2020. Uh, if books came out in 2020, you know, that type of thing. Uh, there are a couple of things here that are not 2020 related that I just couldn't not put on the list. But for the most part, this kind of reflects the year in comics of 2020. So... 2020 for comics was a little bit of a tough time because we had the whole shutdown thing uh, in March, I think for three months until June with Diamond. Uh, and that led to DC, you know, kind of, you know, kicking Diamond out and then starting Lunar and UCS comic distributors, of which I think only one remains uh, distributing comics to everyone, not Diamond. Um, so that was kind of weird. Diamond's still around. That's good. It's good for the industry. It's good to have a little competition. But I think still that the, um, I think UCS shuttered, which was the Midtown one, where the DCBS um, company, which is Lunar, is still around and distributing DC books. I don't know if they're doing any other companies or if any other companies have approached them or whatever. If they're going to seek to grow that business and grow that market, time will tell. But uh, otherwise, I think it was a pretty good year for comics. You know, the quality didn't dip. Things weren't that late. We still have, you know, um, the future state coming in 2021. The 5G stuff shuttered. Dan DiDio left DC. Um, but for the most part, I think things went pretty well for comics. And we got some good books here. Uh, another caveat, I'm looking at my list, and there is a whole lot of DC stuff on here. Um, there is some indie stuff on here. There is not a single Marvel thing on here. And I think that's just me and Marvel Comics right now. I'm not really feeling it, honestly. I mean, I'm reading Amazing Spider-Man. I'm enjoying that from time to time, but I'm not in love with it. I really liked Dan Slott's run, so when Dan Slott left, I wasn't heartbroken per se, but I really enjoyed that run. So to me, Nick Spencer, even though he's, you know, took it back to basics and Ryan Otley was fantastic on the book. Uh, you know, guys like Pat Gleason jumping on, you still have Humberto Ramos holding it down, keeping it Spider-Man, which I love. Um, still is not really doing it for me in terms of Spider-Man. Captain America on the Marvel side, never, never been a big fan of Ta-Nehisi Coates' comic work. I just don't jive with it. Um, like, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what stories he's trying to tell with his stuff. You know, I like the beginning of his Black Panther run. I did not like the cosmic stuff. The Captain America story he's trying to tell feels very spread out where I I'm, I really like a short contained story, six issues or so max, you know, um, and it feels like he's doing some long epic, but it feels really watered down at some points. 
Uh, and for the most of his run, Cap hasn't been Cap. He's been out of costume, in jail, or on the run, whatever's going on. Uh, and I thought he was going to, you know, at the beginning of his run, approach the secret empire of it all up front. And I don't think they really did that. Uh, X-Men. I am enjoying the X-Men. I did like House of X, Powers of X a whole lot. Um, but it just didn't make my best of list. And I think that House of X, Power of X, I want to say it came out last year in 2019. I could be wrong. Anyway, let's get to the good stuff. But just want to put that out there. I am reading Marvel books. I'm just not uh, enjoying a whole lot of them. And a lot of them feel like, uh, you know, why am I spending my money on this right now if I'm not enjoying them? That's all. So let's talk about books I really liked uh, this year. I think the let's do this one. Uh, best book presentation. You got to give it up to Harleen. Okay, this hardcover came out this year in 2020, and this is the best presentation of a hardcover that I bought, anyway. Um, I'm not a big omnibus guy. I don't have the shelf room for omnibuses, um, but I do have the room for, you know, these black label books. And honestly, I bought um, Batman Damned, and but this is the book that made me stand up and take notice and say that I'm going to, you know, not commit to buy everything, but a lot of the Black Label books, I'm going to commit to at least to give a fair shake uh, in terms of buying them in hardcover, uh, especially when they're as quality presentations as this. To, to date, there's not been a Black Label book that's received this same fantastic treatment, and I think that's a bummer because this treatment is phenomenal, and every Black Label book deserves to have this same treatment. Number one thing I love about the Black Label books is the size. Um, you're paying, what is this, $30 for this hardcover. This hardcover is, you know, it's only three issues, honestly. But these Black Label books, the the oversized ones anyway, they're this magazine um, format. You're seeing the reflection of my TV, my YouTube uh, thing on there. But the, the oversized... Um, format I really like. I really like when they do the magazine size pages. You know, we got the um, Curse of the White Knight hardcover and Batman the Last Knight or Last Knight from Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. And those, while they're black label books, are standard size comic books, you know? Um, they're not doing the oversized pages. So, you know, I guess it gives DC an opportunity to double dip and do an oversized hardcover of this later on, which they might, you know, will I buy it? Probably. It's Asriel, right? especially if it's got more extras in it. Although the oversized hardcover of um, White Knight that came out this year didn't have anything extra that wasn't already in the paperback that I had bought previously. So it was kind of a bummer. But these are, what's cool about these is they're the original size of, that, of the books when they came out. So there's no upscaling or anything like that. This is as big as the book, like the pages were this big if you bought it off the shelf or you bought the hardcover. So there's no need to distinguish between, oh, is it a standard or oversized? Like, no, it's the hardcover of the book. And it's big enough, it's the same size practically, um, you know, lengthwise, tall-wise, as the oversized hardcovers that are out there between Marvel and DC. Okay, so what did I really like about this packaging? Well, this slipcase. Now, I don't like these slipcases normally um, because you never have them. You always take them off to read them. And if you do have them on when you read them, then normally you're damaging them. Like usually I'll take them off and set them aside on the top of some books or something so that nothing gets flattened out on them and ruin them. But when I'm reading a book, I don't use the 
slipcase or the book jacket, whatever you want to call it. Um, this one, I didn't use either, but if you're going to do slipcases like this, then I say they're justified because this is beautiful. Um, so this is a cover um, from one of the books, and then you lift it up, and it's see-through, right? And then underneath is, you know, the damaged Harleen Quinzel inside. It is so awesome. Um, but in my opinion, if they wanted to do all the hardcovers without these book jackets or whatever, the way they do the Earth One books where it's just the hardcover and the cover on top, I'd be totally fine with that. Like, just give me the damn book. Um, what's also cool about this slipcover is that it works all the way around. Like, the black on here is, you know, shows through here. On the back side, you have this image of Joker and Harleen. And when you put the slipcase on, this book cover, book jacket, so many damn... It's not a slipcase. Slipcase is like the uh, doomsday clock thing I have, where the books fit inside this box. The book jacket, slipcover, whatever you want to call it, like, just fits around there. It's a really cool presentation. I think I did a lot of this in my review as well. But this, for me, if you're going to do something as artistic as this, um, I'm going to say I'll allow it, right? Uh, so, yeah, I think that's the, the best hardcover presentation of 2020 by far. I mean, omnibuses are typically, like, you know, the same thing. There's a different cover underneath than the book cover, et cetera, et cetera. This took that idea and found a way to innovate on it that I thought was really, really cool. And since the art is so big, it's beautiful. Um, it fits in your lap really nicely. I just bumped the camera, dang it. And it's got some great extras in the back, um, some pages and stuff like that. So they didn't skimp on anything when they did this hardcover. This is Harleen. This is by Sepjan Sejic. He is Croatian, so I cannot pronounce his name correctly. I apologize for that. But he's been on Witchblade. He does the um, Sunstone books for Top Cow. And if you're a mature reader, you should check those out. Um, they are great stories. And I know his art is a little bit rougher in here than sometimes that he does. But uh, I talked about this in the review. Uh, you can look for it. But he does this like, you know, he'll really render out the impact pages, like the splash pages. And then some of the other stuff is a little bit more quicker, a little bit more loose. Uh, and I think it works. It really draws your eye to those impact panels, those impact pages. So I really like his art. I really like his writing. I really liked Harleen as well. But that hardcover presentation, whoever put that together, bravo to you. That's the best thing I've seen in 2020. Let's talk about some books. So this is my list of the best books that I read in 2020. These are in no particular order, um, but we will talk about each one a little bit. First thing that surprised me is that I am really enjoying Firepower from Image Comics. This is a book written by Robert Kirkman, uh, the art by Chris Samney, and it's a kung fu tale, and man, I really enjoyed this. I started reading with issue one. I had to go back and, and buy the... Um, the prelude graphic novel, which is like the all the stuff that happened in the past. It was this really cool tale. Like you can read that prelude by itself and, and be done with it. Um, but if you're really looking at, you know, continuing the story and stuff like that, uh, the book picks up number, the issue number one picks up like, you know, 10 years later, 12 years later, a long time. Like our main character in the prelude is now married and has kids. That's how long a time it was. Um, and those kids are grown and, and learning martial arts and stuff. 
you know, uh, Kirkman, say what you will about him, he writes a really fun tale to read. He writes really fun comics to read that keep your eye moving across the page, keep you invested in the characters, and keep you coming back for more because he knows how to drop a cliffhanger like no one's business. Every issue that I read, the cliffhanger drops, and it's either a, oh man, I can't wait to read the next issue, or oh, that's an interesting take, or and that's an interesting cliffhanger. Um, he's doing things, you know, that, that should take notice. And I think we kind of stopped talking about him for a long time because he had these long runs on Walking Dead. I mean, there's four ginormous phone books of Walking Dead out now. Um, there's three gigantic phone books of Invincible. And for a while, those took up a lot of his time. But now he's doing this. He's doing Die, Die, Die. Um, you know, I think he's got a couple other things. Oblivion Song and Outcast, also at Image. Um, so I think we should sit up and take notice. I think Kirkman's making some moves again to uh, put himself at the top of the stack. And Firepower, for me, great book to read when it comes out. So one of the better storylines I read this year was Batman Joker War. This is by James Tinney IV and art by uh, Jorge Jimenez. He's a Spanish artist. There was like a long um, profile of him on YouTube that DC did on their channel on their YouTube channel. I highly encourage you go watch it. It is, a lot of it is subtitled. So he does speak English, but a lot of it is subtitled. It's him walking around in Spain, talking in his native language. Um, Jorge Jimenez, I took note of him first. Um, I want to say, I think it was honestly, it was with his Justice League run with Scott Snyder. He did 40 issues there. Not in all of them, but he did a majority of those issues and they were phenomenal. But his Joker War work was so good. There is this page, I think it's in like 96 or 98 of Batman this year, where Batman finally reasserts himself and he's jumping up with the cloak and it's, he's like, I am Batman. And Jorge put the words Batman in the cape and it just so, it works so good. It doesn't come off cheesy. Uh, and then there were just some pinup shots that he had that were amazing. But all in all, the Joker War story, I really enjoyed that. You know, thinking of the title alone, you would think that this is just a big showdown between Batman and the Joker, and it would be a little bit cliche and nothing you'd really seen that was new before. Instead, what Tinian had laid the seeds for was like a complete upset of Bruce's life, where he lost his fortune to the Joker, and the Joker took that money and wreaked havoc with it on Gotham City, kind of like the antithesis of what Batman could be doing, or Bruce Wayne could be doing with his money, uh, if he cared more about people. And, um, you know, Lucius Fox is making that point in the current Batman comics now uh, as he has control of it. Like, you know, if you're such a, a champion for justice and peace, why don't you take your fortune and put it to good use? A lot of things that are some of the people, you know, on the left-hand side of the American political spectrum are saying right now with the coronavirus, like, you know, every one of these billionaires we have in the States could give everybody a bunch of money and still be richer than they would at the beginning of the pandemic. Like, the wealth scale when you get to the billions is astronomical. Uh, so I encourage you to go look at that. Uh, not that theory, but just understand how much a billion really is. It's incredible. And then to have many, many of those and not, I don't know. I, I mean, I commend people like Bill Gates that are giving away half their wealth, um, but they're doing it so slowly and there are so many people in need that it's just an idea that's being floated in comics right now. It's like, here's an idea. Here's Joker. He took some billions and he's killing a bunch of people using these billions. Well, uh, I think we're going to see in the Batman comics of the future what that idea flip-flopped and say, what could you do as Batman or as a hero 
with billions of dollars in one particular city. Um, but here it was Joker using those for nefarious means. And that's something we've never seen before. Joker obviously found out the identity of Batman. I told him he didn't care. Uh, and what happened in that storyline to get away from the politics of it all that I was just talking about is like, you know, Batman and Joker, it, made, it became a very personal story because Batman had to come back from being drugged and um, the f final confrontation actually ended up being a little bit more about um, the war between Harley Quinn and Joker, not necessarily Batman. Batman was there, but ultimately it was like Harley Quinn that really took him down. And I think it's cool. It's a cool evolution to her character to not just have her as, you know, feels like DC's actually giving her character a direction, or at least under Tinian the Fourth, they're doing this, uh, where she's becoming more of an anti-hero uh, in the main books, as well as not just being that in her own book. And the Suicide Squad, it feels like in the overall DC universe, she's going to become this character that she is in the movies and stuff like that. So that's a really cool direction. I really enjoyed that final confrontation between Batman, Harley Quinn, and the Joker. And they're all having this conversation, and the Joker's, like, shocked that Harley Quinn's going to turn on him. Really, really cool stuff. And the art, fantastic. Jorge Jimenez, two thumbs up for that. Uh, a book I discovered this year that I uh, immediately started buying the monthly issues of. So I think this, it pretty much, I think I want to say it started in 2019, but it's continuing here in 2020. And I'm a little bit concerned about it. I'll tell you why. This book is called Once and Future. It's written by Kieran Gillen. It's got art by Dan Morris, published by Boom Studios. This book is phenomenal. It has a great twist on the King Arthur lore from England. Uh, and it's also got this stuff that we love with modern books where um, it's the secret society who's been in charge of keeping the monsters at bay for such a long time. But it's, uh, it's got a little twist on it in that it is about lore, specifically, and how stories can affect the present and how you can take a story on yourself and empower yourself with that story. And in this book, it doesn't mean like, oh, in your soul, you're empowering yourself. It literally means by saying, I'm going to be Galahad or Percival, you're giving yourself that power uh, and you become special, you know, and then you can fight these monsters. So it's got a really cool concept in that. Uh, the second arc delves into Beowulf and stuff like that. While King Arthur is still there uh, in the background, it's kind of more of a long-term play. But that first volume is very, very good, very, very special. And I'm really enjoying this book. I am concerned about it, though, and here's why. Simply because Dan Mora is a fantastic artist. Fantastic. I'd seen his stuff a little bit. He had a little story in the Joker 80th anniversary that I read. Um, and then I read this stuff and I took, sat up and took notice. He's been doing a lot of like alternate variant covers for multiple, multiple companies. This guy is on fire right now. And it's no surprise that he is all over your DC books right now with that future state double spread where you see all the different characters that they're going to um, show you in January and February. All that is that whole two-page spread. All those individual characters are drawn by Dan Mora. His art is great. Then he's doing stories in the Future State, and then he's announced as the new ongoing artist and uh, Batman Detective Comics. Fantastic for that guy. Fantastic. Congratulations. Great job. But damn it, what's gonna happen to Once in Future? That's what I want to know. 
Um, so I don't know where this book, if it's going to end at issue 12, if he's all done, if Kieran Gillen is done with it. Um, but man, it could go such a long way. And I love Dan Mora on it. The art is phenomenal. The colors are phenomenal. The characters are great. But I highly recommend you read it. Um, you know, and it's not King Arthur lore. You know, King Arthur is the villain in this. And you'll see why. Because they're kind of twisting everything around. Um, or the, the, you know, the story's been twisted in the past to make you think he was a hero. Or the story's being twisted now to make you think he's the real, the real villain. Uh, time will tell. But it's a great story. I really liked it. Um, another book I really enjoyed reading this year, it wrapped up here in 2020 and we got the hardcover. I showed you this earlier before. This is Batman Curse of the White Knight. This is all by Sean Murphy and published by DC. He's the writer and the artist on here. And I really loved White Knight. I really, really liked this too. Reading these, when I got this hardcover, I reread White Knight, uh, in the oversized hardcover that I got also. And reading these together... It really shows you that the White Knight here in this book, as well as the first one, is not Joker turning good in the first book. It's not the curse of, you know, the White Knight Jack Napier by having this Joker, you know, being hung around him. The White Knight is not Bruce Wayne. The White Knight, she's not even on the cover. She's not even on the back. The White Knight for Gotham is Harley Quinn. This is a big year for Harley Quinn. You got the Birds of Prey movie get Harleen, and you didn't realize it, but you got White Knight and Curse of the White Knight making a big impact. Um, so really, really cool book. I really liked his take on Asbats. I really liked his take on Azrael. He took the Order of St. Dumas and just kind of like made it kind of non-existent a little bit and just told him it was an ancient thing as if you were to wake up and call yourself a Templar right now. There's no Knights Templar organization that we know of. But you could put on the vestments and call yourself a knight anyway. And that's kind of what Azrael does here. It makes a little bit more sense. But the idea of making Azrael like this, you know, the same age or older as Batman, I think was really cool. Instead of this, you know, upstart, he's this grizzled old veteran uh, who's seen battle, who's seen war, and knows what he's doing. Whereas, like, you know, the, the Azrael, Gene Paul Valley of the 90s books is this young man who's, like, programmed for war. And it doesn't kind of make that much sense. But when you say he's a war veteran and he fought in some wars and he knows he's seen some shit, um, it makes a whole lot more sense why he's so capable and can go up against Batman. Um, the Asbats redesign, I did like. I don't think it translates as well in the toy version because it's a little more black than blue necessarily. But I really did like the whole idea here in Curse of the White Knight, I'm paging through it, of the upset of the Wayne legacy. Um, and what I was talking about before the Joker war, like that theme of a billionaire doing great things in a city with his billions, um, which isn't going to really affect him if he, you know, gave a bunch of it away. Uh, uh, that is also explored in this book. It's funny how these two themes keep popping up in comics nowadays. Um, to where at the end of this book, that's pretty much what's going on. Bruce Wayne gives up his fortune. He gives it to the city and says, go and do with it what you will. Do good things. I, I want to say there's a, there's got to be somebody that's looking after it. I can't remember exactly. And then he goes, you know, he goes to pay for his crimes as Batman. And that's where this book leaves you. And it's such an interesting, interesting place to leave Batman at the end of the book. Um, I'm really excited if there's going to be a third volume of this. I know that the Harley Quinn series... 
um, is going on right now. It's not drawn by Sean Murphy. I think it's plotted by him, um, but he's got a co-writer on it who I think is doing the heavy lifting and then a different artist as well. But stylistically, it's very close to his style, so it's going to fit right in. Uh, whenever that hardcover comes out, I'm going to get that and put it right next to this one. But I really, really enjoyed this, not just because I loved Asbats, but because what it did for Batman this year. Um, another DC book that I'm really enjoying, just because it's such a different take on everything, is Far Sector. And if you haven't read Far Sector, and you're a Green Lantern fan, you owe it to yourself to read Far Sector. It's, um, I forget who's writing it, but the, I believe the art is by Jamal Campbell. He was doing Naomi with Brian Michael Bendis last year, and his art is just phenomenal. And this is a Green Lantern story where it's like this Green Lantern, she's an Earth girl, so you don't know if it's taking place past, present, or future, or whatever. But she's in so far off a sector that her Green Lantern power battery lost its connection to uh, the main power battery, so she can't recharge her ring. She's got one charge, and that's it. And the book hasn't even ended yet this year, but I, I read, I think they're up to like 8 of 12 or something like that. But that book is in such an interesting place right now because she's almost out of her powers, but she's still standing up and fighting for what's right. She doesn't actually use her Green Lantern ring a whole lot in that book. She uses it to help her translate or to help her breathe or to help her change clothes, but she's trying to conserve power as much as possible, meanwhile using her brain to... Um, you know, to navigate situations, to investigate murders, to, um, you know, navigate all the different political intrigue that is taking place on this planet where she's stationed, where there's like three different races that all live on the same planet or, you know, this planet system. Uh, and they're all kind of secretly at war with each other. And she's trying to figure out who's really behind all these murders that's going on in a, in a planet that hasn't seen a murder in like thousands of years. Uh, is kind of how they, they you know, kind of crouch that. So, very, very interesting book. I can't wait to see where it ends up, but you have to read Far Sector if you call yourself a Green Lantern fan. You owe it to yourself. And it's beautiful as well, so, and very well written. Highly recommend it. Um, letter 44, got to throw this in there. I read it all this year. I know this is one of these things that did not come out in 2020. This came out years ago by Charles Soule, Alberto... Um, Jimenez is the artist on most of it. I did a whole video about it. I love this book. I loved rereading it all a couple weeks ago. Beautiful, beautiful book. I finally finished it. Um, really got me. My last thing, uh, this run came to an end here in 2020, so I'll give it a shout out. Um, even though I didn't really like the ending of the run, per se, but this run has been so consistent and so great for like the four or five years that it's been going on. And I've been singing its praises all the time on the Comic Time podcast that I do uh, with Ian Levenstein, who is now over at Comic Geek Speak. Uh, this is The Flash by Joshua Williamson. And he's had multiple artists on here. Carmine D. Kemicoli has been on here. Um, Howard Porter is on here. Scott Collins is on here whole bunch of classic Flash artists are doing and participating in this run, and they've made it so much fun to read. But what I love about this Flash run um, is that it's the tale... It really got me into Barry Allen. Now, Jeff Johns had brought Barry back, and I read the New 52 stuff with Barry, but it wasn't until the Rebirth started and Williamson got on Flash that I really started to, to link myself to Barry. He really made him a real character, 
his relationship with Iris as it was evolving became real and was very, very cool to read. And then just the way that he introduced um, Wally Wallace West, which is the New 52 version of Wally. This is the black kid from Iris's brother. That's her nephew, uh, not redheaded Wally West, which is the classic version. They're all in there, as well as he created new villains like Godspeed, who eventually made it up on the Flash TV show. Uh, he had the Speed Force Storm in here. We had Flash Year One take place in this, which was a time travel story, which ended up being really cool. Um, the Turtle, you had the rogues in and out all the time, as well as these new villains um, and the new powers and the that you know not just the speed force but the uh, i don't i don't know the strength force and the, like there's like a mind force and all these other different forces and how they played into a role at the very end of like you know eobard thawne kind of taking all these things and then throwing them in the flash's face and to f find out at the end because we had thawne like in the beginning of the book and maybe in the middle but at the end for it really to be about this relationship between um, the Flash, Barry Allen, and Eobard Thawne, the reverse Flash, was just really, really cool to read. And I can't wait to go back and reread this all in, like, quick succession. Because I've read it over four years, and it's been, I think it was like over 100, almost 100 issues or something like that. 85 or 100 issues um, over everything. And it's coming out every two weeks in quick succession. And this book has been phenomenal every step of the way. Kristen Guse, I want to say, is another artist that was on the book. That's phenomenal. Um, just high fives all around. Beautiful book, beautiful run. And I think it's it's underrated right now. And hopefully, as time goes on, people start to stand up and take notice of, um, you know, of that Flash run. So, those are my best comics that I read in 2020. Let me know what you thought down below. And we will see you guys next time here in the funny pages.